as the ushers are finishing that up, we're going to go ahead and if, actually, if you are here and you've got a Bible, if you could, or even if you have your phone that has a Bible on it, if you could turn in that uh, to Philippians chapter 2. We've been uh, we, we said at the beginning of this series that is our Christmas series, Be the Noel, that this was going to be something we were going to be preaching on these 18 verses throughout the month of December. And so, but whether it's, it's now or it's Christmas Eve or it's in a week, we're going to be preaching on different aspects and different verses found in Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, talking to them about the reality that we need to up the, our game as far as how we interact with one another, but we cannot do that simply by trying to be better people, simply by trying to be a better version of ourselves. That the, really the only place that we can go if we have any expectation for anything to be different is Christ himself. And so uh, we see in this passage, we see Paul actually um, quoting from uh, what we believe is a, a song that the early church sang. Um, but we're, we're going to go ahead and read through the first 18 verses again. So if you've got your Bibles um, or your phones, or even if you don't, if you could go ahead and stand on up, and we're going to go ahead and read through this. Paul says this, Therefore, if, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common and sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. Do nothing, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And this is where he gets into the song. Who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of his servant, being made in human likeness. Ladies and gentlemen, that's Christmas right there. And being found, verse 8, in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That is Easter. This song fuses together Christmas and Easter, Christmas and the resurrection of Christ in one fell swoop. Verse nine, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in according in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. We uh, summed up two, two weeks ago when we first started this series, summed up that passage by Paul by saying, Paul's basically saying this, if you call yourself a Christian, don't just sing a song about Jesus, live like Jesus. Become the song your world gets to hear about Jesus. And in 2018, we're really, really, really good about looking at songs and evaluating lyrics, especially Christmas ones, and like trying to understand what it was that they were really meaning. 
And as a church, Manuka Bible Church, we are not above that. So we're going to do the same thing. Let's go to Home Alone. Home Alone has got one, a song that honestly most of us don't listen to the lyrics of. Um, and so we're going to evaluate that, one of the Christmas songs in Home Alone, written for Home Alone. Um, and, but we're going to go ahead and cage match it up against um, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day by H.W. Longfellow. And so this is going to, they're, both these guys are going to step into the octagon. John Williams and... Um, Actually, it was a poem that Henry uh, Longfellow wrote that ultimately, a couple years later, got turned into a Christmas song. But this, let's start with Home Alone. Somewhere in my, our memory, somewhere in my memory is a song that most of us know. But listen to the lyrics. Now, there's three people on planet Earth who hate that song, and they're all in the Taliban. So here's the thing. The reality is, is that, that honestly, with this song, this is one of those, those songs that, that is, it's great. The only problem I have with this song is the fact that I honestly don't know what that gingerbread feeling is. One. Two, there is a place where Christmas is that perfect. You know where it is? My memory because there was like 15 seconds of it here or there that I've compiled together to make this wonderful. And honestly, there's people in our world, and this might be you. This might be you that like you are just like, you're like Shiite level Christmas fan. Like you're all in, you're crazy about it. You start decorating for Christmas as soon as 4th of July is over. And it's so like, that is like, that's all you. And so when we get to the, this Christmas feeling, that thing that we can connect with from childhood or whatever it was, we're thinking of that gingerbread feeling somewhere in our memory. That's, that's the thing that we're trying to maintain or trying to drudge back or, or, or keep going or what have you. Radically different from H.W. Longfellow's song, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. The song starts, and it was written in the 1800s, so you, you know, it's not like John Williams-esque, and certainly the melody that they connected with it wasn't great, but I'm just going to give you the lyrics. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And that's the happiest part of the song. Because at this point, the rest of the lyrics take a dark turn. And H.W. Longfellow starts to write things that you're like, whoa, 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 this is a Christmas song. There's actually verses that aren't in the current recordings of I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day because they're just so stinking dark. But you have to give them an out, because not only was he written in the 1800s or late 1800s, they came in a really difficult time in H.W.'s life. In July of 1861, his wife was walking um, next to a candle, and her dress caught on fire. 
and all, it spread all around her and he tried to put the flame out. He tried to tackle it, tackle it down and, and, and tamp out the flame. But her injuries caused her the next day to die. And the injuries that he sustained in trying to put the fire out burned his face, causing him to start to grow the beard that he's famous for now. Right as he's recovering from this, the Civil War kicks in. And as he's watching the bloodshed of every community and every part of the world coming into the grips with, with the, the bloodshed and the death of what was taking place, his own son comes to him and says, Dad, I want to join the Union Army. To which he said, no, I've lost your mom. I'm not going to lose you. His dad, and his son said, Dad, I, I appreciate that. I love you, but I'm going to do what I want to do. And he goes off to fight in the Civil War and he comes back safe, but he didn't come back sound. He sustained injuries in the Civil War that he would never, ever recover from. It's that context that I heard the bells on Christmas Day was written. And what starts beautiful with the Christmas bells ringing, announcing peace on earth, goodwill to men, take this turn in the song. The cannon thundered in the south, and with the sound, the carols drowned of peace on earth, goodwill to men. It was as if an earthquake rent the hearthstones of a continent and made forlorn the households born of peace on earth, goodwill to man. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Between the two songs, I'll tell you which one I'd pick. I mean, that gingerbread, even though I don't get it, I mean, that gingerbread feeling, that's, that's where I'm going. But our problem is, our expectation of Christmas falls short time and time again because we're aiming for things somewhere in our memory and we're missing the fact that H.W. Longfellow had a faith and a Christ who's actually able to transcend even the, the, the precarious reality that we live in, even in a time when it seems like the very message of Christmas gets drowned out. The way we're going to cage uh, today's uh, message is this. It's simply a reality check on the fact that we define the win so often with Christmas based upon everyone's best version of themselves. We're going to go into a gathering and everyone in our family is going to have the best version of themselves on display or, or we're going to get exactly what we're looking forward to get or whatever. And this, all these expectations are what leads to the post-Christmas doldrums where we just like are trudging through the disappointment and difficulty of this existential crisis of, was that all that it was all about? Rather, if we're in Christ, we can redefine the win. This is what Paul, I believe, is, is conveying. Because, because as Christians, we're not aiming with the expectation of the gingerbread feeling being what motivates us or even what we're after. We have a different marching orders that Paul talks about in this passage in Philippians chapter two. And really, to put it concisely, we don't live like Jesus because it will convert them, those people that we're going to be spending time with this Christmas, because it'll convert them into who they should be. Wouldn't that be awesome if it did though? Like I would love to tell you there's Bible verses right here that says if you do these five things, folks, it will transform everyone in your world to being the person that they really should be. But there isn't a Bible verse that says that. Paul doesn't say that. Paul doesn't speak into the expectation at all about those people. He actually says, you people, don't live like Jesus because it'll convert them into who they should be, but because it confirms who you already are. Live in such a way with the people that are most difficult in your world, not because you expect it to affect some change, because then you're just, you're just acting in a certain way to manipulate them. No, instead, live in such a way because that's who you are, because you're following Jesus who did that. 
Because of Jesus, if you're a Christian, you are able to redefine the win in any, any type of the situations that you're going to be in this Christmas, but also after this Christmas as you go into 2019. And I'm going to talk about four wins that we see that we can redefine simply from this passage right here. And the first one is in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. It, it, that's where it says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And then it says rather, and then it flips the table on that. That, that word in Greek for selfish ambition is the same word for partisanship. And so what, what Paul is saying is, is this, do nothing out of like partisanship where you're trying to lobby people onto your side. It, you may have a family. Now, some of us in here, you, your family is, is, they have zero drama. No, actually, that's not true. There's some people in here, all of us in here have family with some element of drama, okay? If, if we're honest, there's something going on there. And it, and it actually, if you're, if you're in, if you're visiting from out of town, when we're talking about family members that are dramatic or whatever or causing drama, we're talking about other people's families, not yours. <laughs> Do nothing out of selfish ambition means this. Don't go into that setting, into that scenario, trying to lie. If you know the divides, okay, everyone's on dad's side or everyone's over here on Uncle Eddie's side or everyone is over, you know, th there was a rift that took place 20 years ago. And because of that, we're going to be lobbying. We got to pick a side because if we go in here and we're just like Switzerland in between, we're going to have some type of an issue. What we choose to do, we redefine the win by doing this, asking the question when you leave that, that family gathering, asking the question when you f leave those people's house or those people leave your house, was I more Jesus or a general at that gathering? Was I, was I, was I lobbying people onto my team, my army, trying to get people on my side, trying, trying to clarify how wrong those other people are? Or was I Jesus who was aiming to love both sides? Because what Paul is saying is don't be partisan. Don't be lobbying. Instead, be Jesus. Redefine the win by asking that question. And when you get in the car, say, was I more Jesus than a general? And if you did, that's a win. Regardless of their behavior, that's a win. Second win is this. Did I put myself lower than I normally would? Because what Paul says is this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition, lobbying, partisanship, or vain conceit. Rather, in humility. And by definition, humility is saying, I am going to take that which I am, and put myself lower. And this is really difficult because the people that come into your life or come into your house or you're going to their house may have already done this for you all throughout your life. They've been putting you lower and putting you lower and making you feel like a doormat. To which you look at scripture and say, ah, oh, I ain't gonna do that because they've already done it for me. This is where you choose not to be the victim, but you simply choose to be proactive and say, with my parents... I'm going to put myself lower than them. With my kids that are coming back, I'm going to put myself lower than them. With the extended family, some of which we haven't talked with for years, I'm putting myself lower. With that person that I've got issues, putting myself lower. Why? Because they deserve it? No. Paul's example is of Jesus doing that to a whole human race that didn't. How many of you are hosting Christmas this year? We should just gather you all up and pray for you right now. <laughs> because if you've ever hosted Christmas, you understand that there's this very difficult frustration with we bring these people in and they never say thank you. They eat our food, they sit on our couches and they just complain. And like, and you've got that notion like it should be different and you're right, it should. But you can't control these people, right? You are openly letting crazy people into your house. And the thing is that as a Christian, what you can do is say, I, instead of being simply the person who's reacting with offense, rightfully so, at these ungrateful people, I can say, I can follow Paul's instruction here. And in humility, 
I can actually lower myself. I can make that decision. I'm going to beat you to the punch. You want to put me lower? <laughs> Too late. I already did. Boom. And you make that decision by stepping into that. And if you want to know what humility means, or at least what Paul means when he says it, look at Paul using this in another passage that he wrote. In the book of Colossians, chapter 3, verse 12, he says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Okay, pause. Paul is saying, I'm going to tell you something that you can do if you're a Christian. Because as much as your parents or your grandparents or your kids have tried to identify you as this, you have a different identification you are God's kids, you are royalty, and you are loved. No matter what you've done, no matter what people have said to you, you are royalty. Out of that perspective, you're able to then do this. Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. The neighborhood that Paul puts humility in is I'm going to be compassionate with people that I really can't stand. I'm going to be kind to people who are not kind people. I'm going to be gentle with people I want to put through the wall. And I'm going to be patient with everyone in the room that breathes. Now, here's the cool thing about humility. You can't do any of those other things without it. You cannot do any one of those things. You can't be authentically compassionate, kind, gentle, or patient unless you've made the decision, I am going to put myself lower than I should. I should, be, I should be over you with everything that you've done in your life or all the decisions you made this year. But instead, I'm following Jesus' lead and putting myself lower. Um, I, as I was preparing this, I just started writing because it's just really ricocheted around in my head. As an adopted kid of the king, you are royalty. That's who you are. Typically, royalty is served with no expectation of thanks. Jesus, our king, flips the tables on that practice by lowering himself to a suffering servant. Because we deserve that? The royalty, we serve without the royal expectations. A servant serves simply because that is what they do. It's part of who they are. And that is exactly what Jesus, our king, took on for the human race who was dead in their thankless rebellion. As his kids, we follow suit. Amen? Now you can say amen, but you know that's tough, right? Especially when they start to get human all over you, in your living room, in your kitchen, bringing all the baggage in, all of a sudden you get a chance to play Jesus and know what he, a small fraction of what he feels. We do this, not because we think, if I do this, if I really serve them like Jesus is here, boom, it's gonna be amazing. They're all gonna walk around and say, this was the best Christmas ever. I'm so sorry for all the things I've ever done and said to you. And everyone's hugging and kissing and then they get in the car and they leave and you're like, I can't believe it happened. Pastor Errol said it wouldn't, but it did. We don't do it because of that. We simply do this. We don't live like Jesus because it's going to convert them into who they should be, but because it confirms who we already are. This, the third win, not only are we uh, actually choosing to act more like Jesus than a general in a situation, we're not only putting ourselves lower, but, but there's a, a, another reflexive uh, reality after putting yourself lower. And that's what he says in the next verse. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourselves. So we're not only making ourselves lower than we normally would, we're actually elevating them, yes, them, higher than we normally would. Now again, this is not making yourself a doormat and them like, like, like a king. It's normally, that, what would you normally do? Take a step in that. When you get into the car, when you've gotten into the car, ask the question, did I elevate them higher than I normally would? Now, for those of you who aren't hosting, 
Who's not hosting Christmas this year? You're just showing up and mooching. Okay, good. <laughs> it's at my house, but I'm pretty much doing that, okay? Now, what we need to realize is this. You know it's true. <laughs> if you're not hosting, you have a role to play. If you're going into this, redefining the win. The win isn't, did, was the food good, were the presents good, and was the drama decently leveled? The win is, was I able to elevate those around me higher than I normally would? And you might be the type that as soon as you get into the living room or, or whatever, you're aiming for the couch and the TV and you're just chilling. If you're, if you're a kid, junior high, high school, younger, or you're 42 years old, who's doing the dishes? Step in and do the dishes. Why? Because you're going to be able to serve others higher than you normally would. Find the people in the room that need help. Elevate them higher than you normally would. You normally would just chill. You're just sitting on the couch. It's Christmas. You're on vacation. Come on. Elevate them higher than you normally would. Redefine the win. At the end of the day, at the end of your Christmas celebration, say, did that take place? Did I find people that I normally kept at this level and did I raise it up a notch or two or three? And I, did I do it because I'm trying to follow Jesus' lead, not because it's going to impact how they treat me. This isn't, this isn't self-centered action. This is only following Jesus' Jesus's model. Did I elevate them higher than I normally would? Paul gets into verse four and five by talking about this. We do this not looking to our own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as who? Christ. That's a tall order, folks. But what we're simply saying is this, if you're a Christian, and if you're not a Christian, these resources seem so dumb. Why would I put myself lower than I normally would? Why would I rail elevate other people who are causing me drama higher than I normally would? Why would I do any of these things? Why would I not pick a team? These, these are normal human things. They are. But there's a better way to live. And Christ has given us not only the example, but he's enabled you to actually do this. Without him, you're going to be running on fumes of your own strength trying to pull this off, and it just won't happen. In your relationships with another, have the same mindset as the example of Christ. His example is our marching orders. And what Jesus did was he came not to earth because, of, because we fulfilled his interests. Because, like, because he came to earth because like, he was just so needy that he just needed us, and that's what he did. Jesus came to earth he did that out of love for God's glory, but to give to us. And he gave to us his salvation out of his love. And so when, when we're recognizing that Jesus did this, and this is his model, we start to say similarly, what are the interests of the people in the room that I'm with? What are their needs? And in the room, you're going to see a couple people. You'll see someone who has a need to be seen, to which most of us are going to be like, look, I, I, I saw them when they walked in. That was enough. That's all I needed. There's going to be someone who, who needs to be seen. And let me just give you two tells of a person that needs to be seen. The first is this. They're the most obnoxious and loud person in the room. Find the person who's the most loud and obnoxious person in the room. They have a struggle with the fact that they need to be seen and nobody's seeing them. They have a need to be hurt and nobody's looking. And so what they do is to compensate for that, they get louder, more cantankerous, sometimes more offensive, just so that someone will pay attention. Have you ever noticed that? There's someone in the room that'll say something, they're like, whoa, that was way over the line. And then they're looking. <laughs> Find that person. Find that person and simply be present with them. Listen to them. 
You have to listen through some thick stuff there, but listen to them. They need to be known. They need to know that they're seen, that they're heard. You know why we do that? Because Jesus didn't, he didn't text us salvation. He didn't just simply download redemption. God became man. The incarnation tells us that God became man and Jesus walked amongst us. He was present. Would these people do that? Here's the other tell for people who need to be seen. They're not the most loud and obnoxious person in the room. They're the quietest. They're the one who's in the corner trying to just fly under the radar. For whatever reason, they've, they've believed the fact in their life that they don't deserve to be heard or seen. And they're the one who's the quietest in the corner. Find them. Be present with them. Every single person here, one key way to be present with people in 2018 is when you, if you're pulling up to the house, leave the phone in the car. I mean, unless you're taking pictures, and even then, come on. But leave the phone in the car, leave it in your pocket, leave it in your purse, leave whatever. Because one of the easiest ways to avoid seeing people who need to be seen is to be so self-interested and occupied in whatever's going on in your own managed space. And I'm saying this as a confession. I just, I've got like, I've got like nine McFaddens at my house right now and there's tons more coming today. And I walk in the room and I look around the room and I'm looking at all these people sitting there having a wonderful Christmas time, not looking at each other on their phones. I'm like, this is just messed up. <laughs> we can escape anything with their phone, but one thing we'll escape is exactly what Christ has called us to do. By not looking to our own interests, but the interests of others. Be present with them. Let them be seen. Second need that you're going to find someone who needs to, to know that they belong. And, and what we need to do with people who need to know that they belong is to simply build bridges in our conversations with them. Why? Because it's a good person thing to do? No, because it's what Jesus did. Jesus built bridges in his conversations between both priests and prostitutes. He could find a way to talk to people at a heart level and engage them. There are people in, in the, your gatherings that need to know that they belong and they don't feel like they do. They don't feel like they do. And again, these are the people that sometimes, you know that they need to know that they belong because they're the people oftentimes talking about themselves the most. They're gonna brag to you about how epic this year was for them or all the cool things that they did or how great sales are going or whatever. And you just wanna avoid that person because you're like, I just can't, if I listen to them for five more minutes, seriously. I'm, I'm not armed, but if I was, you know, that, that's, that's kind of where we're at, right? And so the thing is, is that what we do instead is we need to know that, we need to let them know that they belong by simply doing this. There's that guy that is talking all about himself whenever he gets it together at your family gathering. Beat him to the punch. Walk up to him and at his, Bill, I heard that sales this year are just been fantastic. Tell me more about that. That's when Bill has a heart attack. Because Bill's not used to people actually being interested in what he's saying. That's why he talks about himself so much. Build a bridge. There's people that, that are, are honestly, they, they don't feel like they don't belong because they feel like they're the only person in your gathering in a certain political party or with a certain type of affiliation or whatever. And they feel like they're going into family gatherings with pure judgment, pure judgment. You get to be an ambassador of Christ. And recognize that Jesus talked with the religious and the irreligious and people on every part of the political spectrum. And people who are far from God loved him. What if that could be the win for you? Redefine the win. Let them know that they belong by building bridges in the con your conversations with them. There's gonna be someone who needs to be celebrated 
and someone who needs to be consoled. So be ready to give them, uh, that person a prop, the props that they deserve or, or a hug. Be ready to be the one who celebrates. See, Paul, in another passage, reflecting on what it looks like to follow Jesus, he said, we need to celebrate with people who are celebrating. And people who are weeping, we need to weep with them. There's gonna be people in your gathering who have had an awful year. Like this 2018, they're ready to kick it to the curb so fast because it was so painful. Don't avoid them. Don't make light of the situation. Don't try to talk around the elephant in the room. Hug them. Go right to them. Even if they would never do that for you, go to them. Be that person. Not because you're a great person, because you follow a great God who did that for us. Be the person that's, that's going to give them a hug, but also be the person that's going to celebrate. Again, even if you've had an awful year and you feel like, look, I'm in death, I'm like in a, a cave of, of pain. I don't feel like giving anyone anything. Be the person following Jesus' lead to walk out and step in and congratulate and give props to someone who's having a far better year than you are and do that in his name. Final need that you can see addressed is that someone in that group most likely will need to be forgiven. And you haven't yet. And you haven't yet for good reason. I mean, you got some serious issues about what happened. And you feel like if I forgive them, that's going to be saying it's okay what they did. Or like it wasn't that big of a deal. And it was. If that's you, if that's you, make the choice to do what Jesus did. He didn't look at sin and say it's not that big of a deal. It really wasn't that big of a deal. Our sin cost Jesus' life through a torturous death on the cross. It was that level of sacrifice and cost to forgive us. And he turns to us and says, kids, royalty, follow my lead. Choose this year to let it go. Not because it wasn't a big deal. It was a big deal. Not because it didn't matter. It did. It was wrong. There's no excusing it. Choose to let it go because you're sending the bitterness away and you're giving it to God because he can handle it far better than you. He could judge it far more purely than you can and choose to give that as a gift this Christmas. See, this is, this is why HW's song rules in spite of the fact that it doesn't sound nearly as good as John Williams's. It rules because it's saying that in, this, in, in the midst of a world where it's so difficult to hear and, and celebrate this peace on earth, goodwill to men, which seems like such a joke when we look outside, we have a redemptive promise from Jesus, an endgame reality that changes how we're operating in the middle of the game. Remember, he was coming to the end of the song saying this, and in despair I bowed my head, there is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong, and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Thank God he didn't finish the song with that, otherwise we probably would have never heard it, because <laughs> everyone would have wanted to forgotten it as soon as it was written. But he finishes off with this, then, Healed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. We redefine the win, not of a winning perfect situation, not of a perfect awesome family, of everyone being on their best behavior and all the drama is great. No, we actually walk into H.W. Longfellow level tragedy. H.W. Longfellow level pain. And we say our win is simply going to be walking in the steps of our Savior through this pain, through this difficulty. If we have gingerbread feeling, killer. But if we don't, 
no sweat. Why? Because we're following Jesus' lead. We don't live like Jesus because it will convert them into who they should be, but because it confirms who we all already are. Amen? Be the song, church. Be the song that your world needs to hear. They need to hear a Christmas song about Christ. And your life can live that out. One of the things that we do as a church family, for anyone who's a believer, is that every month we come to the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table. We take communion. And this is open to anyone who has surrendered their life to Jesus, even if this isn't your church. We take the bread and the cup because this is a reboot for us. It's a reset. It's a reminder of the fact that God looked at us dead in our sin without anything to prove to him or polish ourselves up so that he could accept us. And he gave himself to us. He gave us his body, shed his blood to bring us home. As we're in the midst of this and taking this, I want to challenge you to be evaluating the implications, not only of your relationship with Christ. Like if this is a time where you need to repent, if, there's a, if you feel distance between you and God, or you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, asking him to forgive you for your sin and your rebellion, putting your trust in what he did on the cross, this is an amazing time to do that. But for everyone else, that you've already taken that step, you followed his lead, you received his forgiveness, evaluate what are the implications in my life now? How does God's example of grace, mercy, and forgiveness inform my response to a world that's very difficult to show that to? After we take communion, we're going to have um, some staff up here, some church leaders, deacons, and such. If you need prayer, because you're coming into the, this Christmas season and it's painful, or you're coming into a season and you know that it's going to be warfare and it's going to be very difficult to walk out unscathed, you need prayer? Come forward. We'd love to pray with you about that. But right now, for all of us that are believers, you're welcome to exit your rows on your left-hand side. Go around both sides of the table. Take the bread and the cup back to your chairs with you, and we'll take this together. Do that now.